It's Rocky time. Hey, welcome back to Giovanni Andrioli's Movies and More, where I talk about movies and more. And week by week, I progressively grow more comfortable saying my own name out loud. All right, everyone, let's get right into it. I'm going to talk about the first three Rocky movies uh, and maybe a few other things. Yeah, let's get into it right now. I'm ready. All right, Rocky. I felt like that was too quick. Holy crap. I never get into stuff this quickly. But you know what? Sometimes I just, I don't know. I get carried away, and it's like, I just talk forever, and then I have, like, five minutes left, and it's like, oh, crap, I still got to talk about two more movies, you know? You listen to this, you you probably heard similar situations to what I just described, so I've been trying to get into them really quick, but, like, jeez, I was already ready to talk about Rocky at, like, 20 seconds into this. I mean, he needs some sort of intro, right? Like, what do I talk about? Haha, <laughs> we just ran for a minute. Alright, now let's talk about Rocky. This movie is really good. The end. Rocky 2. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, Okay, so I like it. It is really good, and I can appreciate that it is, in fact, a very good movie. I mean, obviously, it won Best Picture, and everyone ever loves it, except for my mom. Surprise, surprise. But, um, I don't know. I can't bring myself to love it. I like it. I like it a lot, but I don't love it. And I don't know if that's blasphemy, but hear me out. So, the best part of this movie is easily the first, like, 54 pages of the screenplay, right? So that's, like, about 54 minutes worth of, like, I don't know if it's exactly 54 minutes, but I think it's around then when he gets the actual offer uh, to fight Apollo. Everything in that is easily the best part of this movie. And I think that like I mean, it's just a it's just basically a character study. I mean, that's what it is. This movie is a very elongated uh like deep dive into into Rocky and what is going on with him and how he feels and his life and it it really does a lot of emphasizing that his life is just kind of hell and just kind of really, really shitty. Like, his apartment sucks. He um, he has to work for the mob as, like, a low-level enforcer. He's fighting, like, really crappy small fights and, like, dingy basements and stuff. Um, he's walking alone. He doesn't have really any family or friends. Uh, he, you know, the closest thing that can, can come to that is... Polly, who's barely a friend, and, um, the, you know, like, the bums on street corners, like, it really does a good job of hammering home the fact that he really needs uh, a new life, a new lot in life, and something to help him get to the next level, to what he wants to achieve, and I think, actually, these movies probably serve, I don't know if directly, but it's pretty similar to what I think the best Spider-Man stories are, where it's just a lot of proving to the audience that a character's life is living hell, which really helps you emotionally connect to them, because you see that they have nothing, and you see how they're treated by the world and the people around them, and so it makes 
when they finally are able to achieve what they want to and and you know when everything finally goes down it's much more satisfying and it's much more inspiring and i think that structure of these movies is a really big part of why they are so beloved and why they're so inspiring to so many people i mean i know this is a little early to get into it but for me the least interesting part of every one of these movies is the fight like by the time you get to the fight i'm like i mean <laughs> Can we just get, get, can we just get, you know, through this pretty quickly? It's not like I'm ever bored, but everything that has happened that's the most interesting, meaty stuff has happened during the, the bulk of the movie beforehand. The climax is, I mean, it's just obligatory. It has to happen. It's a Rocky movie. It's a boxing movie. So there has to be a boxing match at the end, which makes sense. But everything before that, in my opinion, for Mm, okay, not all of these movies, but most of them, it's the most interesting part. So the best of them, they can make the fight as interesting as it's preceding, like, hour, hour and a half. But, um, but yeah, I think that that's a, an interesting observation because, and, you know, even looking back on it, like, the famous moments, none of them are really from the fight, except from, well, no, not not even really. I mean, maybe when Apollo dies, but, like... I mean, everything else, like running up the stairs, um, other things, I don't know, like the, the super iconic music, uh, I feel like there's other things that I'm forgetting, but that kind of, that kind of does encompass Rocky, um, the training montage, like just in general, that whole thing, like that archetype, or not archetype, but, um, that scene that's associated with, like, Rocky, um, or any kind of similar sports film that has a training montage of sorts, you know, that, that, that stuff's, like, the most iconic parts of these movies, and I feel like that all happens, and then after that, everything past that isn't really as iconic, like, even, even, like, Yo! Adrian stuff, like, that's, that's said before and after the fight, obviously, it's not, you know, I don't know, Maybe I'm in totally off the mark on this one, but I think that that's all the best parts of the movie is before the actual punch-up goes down. Uh, so, yeah, I love how how long the movie takes its time making you care about Rocky as a character, and I think that's all, that's all really well done. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Sly himself in real life was going through a pretty similar tradition. He was horribly broke, like, horrible property. Um, I think, I mean, worse than what Rocky goes through in the movie. He had to sell his own dog just to get some money, and I think he eventually bought him back after he got, you know, really famous and rich. But uh, but before then, yeah, selling his dog for a couple bucks. And then, yeah, he just... He just kept shopping this script around that he had written, the, the script for Rocky, to a bunch of different studios, and he even turned one down because they wouldn't let him play the title character, and then eventually United Artists bought it, obviously, and then the rest is history. But but yeah, it's, it's, like, it's a very clear example of write what you know, and it really comes through because it feels very honest and it feels very real. It doesn't feel overly sappy or Hollywood, like... The cinematography, the writing, the score, the performances, all of it. It really emphasizes 
his loneliness and his desperation to succeed and just how utterly out of reach that seems for him and all that I think is really really well done uh, I've been trying to highlight some of the best shots in these movies there's not a ton and they're often not very showy but even just stuff like um uh, there's a shot where Rocky's just walking along a fence um down a sidewalk and it's it's a wide shot and it starts with Rocky on the right hand of the frame and then the rest of if everything is framed before him so those types of shots can really serve to uh, exemplify a distance that needs to be traveled, and because of the way it's framed and how uh, how wide it is, it really emphasizes Rocky's loneliness and how far he needs to go, and that's just a, one of quite a few, actually, examples of really great visual storytelling across these, uh, these all these movies, especially the, the first three, but, um, but definitely this one, that's a, that's a pretty good example of that, and I really like it. Um, okay, so let's move on to a few other things about the movie. Um, I think Apollo is also really good. They do less with him as a character in this movie than they do in the second one. And so I think he just becomes a in, in more interesting character the more these movies progress. But, uh, but for this one in particular, I think it's it's just admirable at least what they give him with a pretty limited amount of screen time and you know what his goal is and 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 everything that's associated with that i think that's all really well done uh especially for such a short amount of screen time so yeah humanizing the main character humanizing the villain villain antagonist more so but but yeah i think that's that's all really well done let's shift to some negatives because I think this episode is going to be predominantly positive, but I do want to talk about one of the biggest things that has held me back from really loving this movie. And I think it's predominantly just how creepy Rocky comes off. Now, I'm not sure if this is like 2019 sensibilities bringing, like being brought into a movie from like, I think it's 70s, right? It's like really late 70s. Um, so I don't know if that's part of it, if that's maybe coloring my view of this movie, but like, just the way it's played, the way it's written, it's all really weird, him and Adrian. Uh, so I, I like I like it at first. I like how it's just kind of a random thing. Like, Polly wants her out of the house, and, you know, he just tries to hook up Rocky with her, and then Rocky kind of has to, like, make the move to try to convince her to go out with him. And all that stuff is really good. I think it does a lot to, to do what I said before, which is humanize Rocky and make you care about him. I think that's all really relatable, and that's all really well done. But once they actually get on the date and they get past the ice rink, which serves the same function, you know, he's he's bargaining for like a couple bucks just to get this skating time and and all this stuff. That's all really good. And even their conversation, I love how it's clear that Rocky is not a very experienced in the dating world. You know, he's keeping the conversation very centric around him and and stuff that he knows about. Like he's not really asking her many questions and giving her much time to talk, but that's allowing her to kind of become more comfortable with him. I don't know. I like all of that. It's once they get to the apartment that it's weird. Like, she's trying to call her brother, and, and he's like, Yo, Polly! Or, you know, just yelling out the window. And then, uh, just like the way he's like, Oh, uh, I want to kiss you. You don't have to kiss me back, though. Like, that's just weird. Don't say that. That's really creepy. Like, that's really rapey behavior. And then... I mean, he's just sitting there with, like, a wife beater with a hole in it on, like, an old 
crappy couch with a bunch of beer cans piled on on the back of it and it's just like the way it's shot with him like with his arm on the back of the couch just kind of looking at her just the way it's framed the way it's lit and just the way he plays it it's very creepy and it and it's like more standoffish than romantic and i don't i don't really like that and i don't like that their relationship never really evolves that much throughout the film i mean there's certainly standout moments of stuff like Rocky, uh, telling her, you know, he's like, you know, I said all that stuff that they say about me doesn't bother me. And he's like, well, it does. And then he walks off. I like that, stuff like that, small moments. But I think that you never really see him learning any lessons or grappling with any shortcomings as a boyfriend. And so when the ending comes at the end and it's like, you know, oh, Adrian, I love you, and all that stuff. I don't think that that's necessarily justified in this movie. I don't think that that's what this whole movie has been about. And, I mean, if you're saying, like, right now, well, it's not really about Rocky's evolution as as a boyfriend and as, you know, a companion. It's him learning to, I don't know, have self-confidence and, and move out of a position. I have no idea. I don't know what you're saying, a hypothetical person who's disagreeing with my opinions. But um, but but then, but you can't say that this movie isn't about that and then have an ending where one of the final lines is, I love you. Because, sure, that makes sense, and that's maybe something that you would say, but in this movie, it's not like it's been building up a relationship. That's not what this movie is about. It's not about their relationship. It's about him and his struggles and him overcoming those struggles and you know and people around him coming to to know him and help him succeed and him finally you know reaching the next step it's a story about it's like not redemption is not the right word but it's sort of what i mean you know you're coming out of a dark place and becoming you're, you're growing but okay but maybe maybe that is part of it maybe part of it is him growing as, like, a romantic partner, I don't know, I just don't think that the movie does an adequate job of building that up, regardless of whether that's an intended theme or not, and maybe I'm just not picking up on certain nuances that were intended to be there, but I don't know, it just seems, it seems very traditional in its mentality about relationships, and just, like, she does everything and cooks for him and is, like, always comforting him, and it doesn't really seem like he does much or then she's standing up for herself, which is cool. She's becoming less shy and everything, but but it's not like Rocky ever stands up for her or really helps her with anything or or anything like that. I just I don't know. A lot about this relationship does not sit with me. It doesn't doesn't sit well with me, and I don't think it's as well done as it could have been. But I mean, aside from that, uh. I mean, all this movie, it's very classic. It's really, really good, and I like a lot about it. Uh, The montage, I was actually a little disappointed isn't the right word, but maybe underwhelmed. Like, it's really cool when it happens, and it's like, oh, yeah, that, that, you know, that super iconic moment, but I don't know. It didn't hit as hard for me as I thought it was going to, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, I really like it, and I really love a lot about it, and and I, I don't know. I can't even necessarily articulate it properly. It's just, I don't love it like I thought I would. 
Um, Bubkiss is really cute, though. I did want to add that. I had a I had a note about that. I love that dog. He's really cute. Uh, and it's just I don't know. He's just he's just a cool part of the movie. Um. Oh, and Polly sucks. I hate Polly. I hate Polly so much. Listen, it starts here. He's got some funny lines or some nice moments with him throughout the series. I didn't take note of any of them because I was it was much overpowered by how much I hate this character. I mean, we'll get into it as the series progresses, but he is just the worst friend, the worst brother. He's just the worst. I, I really hate Polly. I really, really hate him. And it starts here. Like, everything that he does, aside from, like, maybe one offhanded comment that's kind of funny when he's, like, talking to Rocky, it's, he's just, and maybe that's the point, that he's just a total jerk, but, like, at a certain point, it just reaches, like, a comical level of, like, why are you still friends with this utter piece of shit? He's, like, ruining your life. It's not that bad yet, but it's certainly laying the groundwork. All right. I've said what I wanted to say about Rocky. So, let's move on to Rocky 2. Oh boy, now I've been really excited to talk about this movie since I sat down to watch it. I wasn't super enthusiastic. I knew that a lot of people, it was a very, like a Terminator and Terminator 2 situation, or Alien, Aliens, Godfather, Godfather 2, you get the point. It's a, it's a great movie followed by a really great sequel. I knew a lot of people regarded it like that, but I was a little worried because I was like, oh, I need, but everyone loves Rocky, and I didn't necessarily love it. So I was a little cautiously optimistic, shall we say. But uh, this is, hands down, the best Rocky movie ever made. This is the crown jewel of this franchise for me. It tops out at this, and I, I mean, I wish it didn't, but at the same time, it is so awesome to have a movie that I love this much out of this whole crop of films. Like, if there's going to be one I'm going to go back to, it's it's hands down going to be this one. My chair is really creaky. I don't know if that's coming through. I'm sorry. I'm trying to keep it quiet. Stop interrupting my point, chair. You son of a bitch. All right. So I just mostly have a list of things that I love here. I really don't have anything to say bad about it. At, at its worst, it can be kind of cheesy, but at the same time, I... I still think it keeps that grit and tactile feel that like it doesn't it doesn't feel I don't think it feels Hollywood or or like a glamorous look at at like poverty and um you know kind of just a crappy circumstance like I think this still keeps what Rocky 1 did best which is um just the down on his luck kind of character in the and you know the everything that comes along with that world I think it continues that, and at times, uh, a lot of, especially the, like, quote-unquote inspiring moments, it can get a little cheesy and kind of unbelievable, but I still, like, I think if you can look past it, and I don't think it's world-breaking either, I don't think that it, it's outside of the realm of possibility for this world, like, I don't, I don't know, I don't think it's game-breaking, I think it's just something that you have to, like, pick on, pick up on, acknowledge, and be like, huh, yeah, that's kind of weird. But I don't think that it's a legitimate criticism of the movie. Like, I still think it works perfectly in tandem with everything else that's been set out by the film so far. So that'd be, like, my one possible negative. Oh, and Polly. I just hate Polly. But other than that, I love this movie so much. So, okay, let's let's start off. First things first. I love... Um, 
Rocky and Adrian are so much better in this movie. It's a thousand times better. I think my the best way I can describe this movie overall is that it took everything that worked about the first movie, amplified it, and then cut out everything that didn't work. And I think that makes for a damn near perfect movie. This movie is... It's so good. So I think it all starts with... I don't know if maybe in between films, maybe... Um, Maybe Sly and uh, What's-Her-Face, maybe they've, you know, kind of figured out their chemistry a little more. Maybe they sat down and worked on their characters. I'm not totally sure what happened, but it seems like in between films, there was like a quantum leap in chemistry and banter and like all these things. And they really work well as a romantic couple, as like a fully functioning romantic couple. And just the... Just some of their back and forth, like when they're walking through the park after they find out she's pregnant and they're like... Oh, he's gonna get the the brains of the family and they're going about like you no like you like you and then like just going back and forth and like that's like that's so great and it's so well played and it's just like it's fun and 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 charming in a way that maybe the first movie was intended to come off but didn't really end up coming off like that i love when he proposes to her and it's so like unceremonious like he doesn't even kneel i love that he just never ring he doesn't kneel he's just like i don't know if uh maybe you wouldn't mind marrying me too much but uh but i love that because it really fits this character i mean this isn't the type of character that's gonna go get a diamond ring and be all like i don't know he's not gonna have like some sort of showy thing and then it's gonna lead to like him proposing it's just gonna kind of be like like I said unceremonious and I think that's really good and then he's like hey yo Mr. Tiger you want to come we get married like all that it's so good it's it's so much more funny and and like heartwarming than I think anything in the first movie reaches uh I love the the super tiny wedding with like five people in attendance and just kind of how awkward he is and uh and I also love a sense of continuity between these two movies we watch them very very close to each other in a pretty rapid succession uh and I think if you really wanted to you could just sit down and shotgun these two movies I mean they really work well as one large story and I think that's really awesome uh sequels I mean uh, you know, there's there's something to be said for good ones, and there's definitely a lot of bad ones, but I think one of the best things that a sequel can do, and one of the first things it has to get right, is a sense of continuity. I mean, this is just the example that keeps jumping out at me. Uh, it's, you know, it's kind of a similar era of filmmaking and, uh, and stuff, but, um, but, like, Batman and Batman Returns, like, they're respectively they're both you know they're pretty okay movies but I mean it would have been I don't know Batman Returns is a sequel to Batman 89 purely superficially like almost none of the story threads or characters carry over and that's just not satisfying as a viewer if I'm watching one story and this is an anthology I don't necessarily want to see a sequel completely abandon what was set out by the previous film so I love that these movies work very well uh like in tandem with each other it's like I said it tells a it tells one big story there's not a huge time jump or anything it picks up right where the first movie left off and it keeps all those characters going in a really interesting way uh because 
at first glance, this movie could definitely seem repetitive. It's a very similar premise to the first movie, but I love how it takes the situation that has been given to our characters after the fallout of the first movie, and then it, it kind of builds on it and twists it in interesting and unique ways, uh, including the wedding. So, yeah, they're married now, and, and what that dynamic is like, and them figuring things out and trying to, you know, move into a better house and, you know, preparing for having a child and all of that. That's more, that's interesting struggles for Rocky to overcome that are similar to what he had to learn in the first movie, but have different enough attributes that the obstacles that they present to him keep the movie pretty fresh and and interesting. So stuff like that. I love, you know, them kind of arguing about who's going to be the breadwinner and Rocky trying to try not to to let himself swallow his pride and let her work too. And then eventually they're both working and the consequences that leads to with her going into a coma because of the stress. Uh, I love Rocky. I love Rocky just kind of slumming it and, and just working a pretty dead end job at the meat processing plant. And he's just, they got a lot of long shots of him just going throughout the daily grind and cleaning up like disgusting floors full of meat and all kinds of stuff. And that's really good. That really sells like a sense of, of kind of dread, uh, of like, you know, this is not the life I wanted for myself after everything that happened last time. And then when he gets laid off, it feels really devastating. And then everything that happens as a result of that is, is really well built up. And, and yeah, and then, so she has the kid and then goes into a coma. And that was really, really heartbreaking. And really cool for me and it worked it worked really well because their relationship has been so much more developed and better performed than in the previous movie and I think that everything with him waiting for her to wake up is really really cool and I also love how how long it holds off in terms of him getting to start training and, and getting ready for the fight and everything. And I love that his heart isn't in it at first and that it's not really until that moment where Adrian wakes up and she's like, win. And then it, you know, everything starts to kick in. The, the fanfare starts to really, uh, really swell and everything. But I love that it, the movie keeps progressively pushing off, you know, the amount of time that he has to prepare for this fight, you know, in between he's trying to wait but then also he's got this fight coming up that's unavoidable and he needs to prepare and I love how it pushes it towards the 11th hour because that makes it seem much more triumphant when he finally does and I love that the movie keeps pushing the fight back and pushing it back and pushing it back and it feeds into that thing that I touched on earlier which is that I think this movie knows that the fight is the least interesting part and that what is what is most important in this in these movies and what sets them apart from other sports movies is their focus on the characters. And I love that they just keep focusing on them to a point where it's like, oh my God, is he even going to make it to this fight? Like the moment where he visits uh, the, fa- the priest father or whatever uh, at the church and has him, you know, bless him before the fight. I loved that moment. I loved it so much that you come out of this montage and you feel it all pumped and then it takes one more quick turn just to 
to divert your focus from that because I love that it doesn't just move right into the fight and that it it has a, a nice quiet moment for Rocky to to really sell that he's nervous about this and then he knows how it went last time and doesn't know if he can live up to that again. And, you know, he needs a little bit of extra confidence and that's so cool. That was one of my favorite moments in the movie. I loved that so much. It's so well done. And then... Oh, what else do we have? Uh, what other things do I love in this movie? Pretty much all of it. Uh, okay, well, speaking of the fight, uh, we got two characters that are pretty, pretty closely tied to that. Uh, let's first touch on... Excuse me, sorry. First touch on Apollo. Oof, that was hard to say. I don't know why, but that was hard to say. You, listening right now, try to say it. Say it three times, and then, like, email me. Or don't. You know what, don't. Uh, but, but, but yeah, give it a shot. Um, yeah. So, I love that this movie is, it's very similar, uh, it reminded me of another Sylvester Stallone movie. Uh, it reminded me of First Blood. How the antagonist relationship in this movie, or not relationship, sorry, uh, motivation in this movie. And, I mean, yeah, sort of relationship. Relationship to the main character, to the protagonist, is the fact that he can't let this go. Like, there's just one thing, and and it has to deal with the protagonist, and it's just something that, no matter what he does, he can't let go, and it drives him throughout the whole movie. And I love that... Apollo just has too much pride, and he's so worried that, like, you know, everyone sees him as, like, a fake victor, and, like, that he, you know, he didn't really win that fight, like, you know, maybe he won the fight, but then Rocky won the night. I'm pretty sure that's actually a thing in Creed. It's, like, lost the fight, but won the night. I feel like that's something in, in Creed. I don't think I'm just pulling that out of thin air, but, but still, that, that applies here. It's a very similar situation. That it's an underdog tale where no one believed that he could do it. And even though he didn't win, he still went all 15 rounds. And that's impressive in and of itself, especially if you're going up against the heavyweight champion of the world. So all that is really cool. And I love that it just drives Apollo that he feels like a sense of responsibility. Like that he needs to prove himself, that he needs to kind of earn back that title in the eyes of the people. And that he just can't let go of the fact that no matter, you know, regardless of whether or not he technically did win... It doesn't mean it's actually a victory. And I like that. I like that a lot. It's it's a unique motivation and it's very relatable too. So I think that's all really well done. And I love seeing his home life and seeing, you know, him talking to his managers and trying to ration this out and just eventually coming to the conclusion that, you know what, no matter what these people say, I mean, I know that I need to, to take this fight. So I loved all of that. Uh, and then Mick, I know I didn't really touch on him much in uh in the first movie when i when i just talked about it a couple minutes ago but um but i think he's actually a lot better in this and the conversations that he has with rocky and trying to get rocky you know out of like this slump i think that's all really good and uh and like the lessons that he's sort of teaching him about the world and not just that but also about actually the fight and and how rocky isn't in the same physical condition as he was in the first movie. He's got the problem with his eye. He couldn't go blind. And he's trying to keep all that in perspective for him. And I like how that's delivered. And 
Oh, I keep wanting to say Patton Oswalt because this guy also played uh, the Penguin in the Batman 66 TV show. And that's Oswald Cobblepot. That's the Penguin's real name. So I keep wanting to say Patton Oswalt. But it's not Patton Oswalt. It is Burgess Meredith. And uh, he's just a very entertaining guy. He's a really charismatic performer. And he, like the energy he brings to the movie, it's it's really cool. And it does a lot to offset Rocky and the more subdued like world that he inhabits. And I really like this. All of this with him is really, really cool. Uh, so yeah, besides that, I love the wish fulfillment for Rocky and him finally getting a house and, like, nice jewelry and a bunch of nice coats and a car and all that stuff. That's all really, really cool, and I love how Adrian kind of can see past it, but he still feels like he wants all of it because it means more to him because he just never had it and he yearned for it, and that's all very interesting. Oh, I forgot to touch on one of my other favorite parts of the movie the commercials him trying to do the commercials and he can't read everything out loud very well like he just doesn't have the inflections right and then he's trying to read to to adrian every night and he's reading to her during the coma that was so good like my jaw dropped when i saw him reading to her in the hospital and it's not like whoa what a surprise it's just like that's so it's so well done that's so well constructed like I don't know who who wrote that, like, who came up with that. I mean, I don't know if it was Sly or somebody else, but that's an amazing touch. And I love that that's a character who would take criticisms to, like that to heart and then try to improve on them. And I love that he's just trying everything desperately to keep making money and to keep gaining success so that he can support himself and, and Adrian and him as a family. And that's so awesome. And it's just, it's so, it's so relatable and down to earth to see a you know, a larger-than-life kind of character that we all look up to and aspire to be, and that there's a statue of, like, two hours away from my house. But, like, you're seeing him struggle with, you know, self-confidence and being able to read aloud, and then he's trying to read to his wife to, to gain that ability. That is so cool, and it's just, it's it's really well done, and I can't, I'm trying to think of other words or trying to explain why, but it's, it's such a great theme of, of humanizing this character to, like, an insane degree. And this does that really, really well. So it was one of the, my favorite parts of the movie. And then you want to talk about romantic dialogue. He's like, uh, do I read good? And she's like, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, well, you lie good. Like, that was so cute. That's just a great moment, and I love it. So, uh, yeah, all that, we're leading up to the fight. And once again, like I said, the fight's probably the least interesting part. Uh... Although I know I also said, if you recall, that the best parts of, or the best movies in this series not only realize that fact, but they also do their best to make the fight still interesting regardless. And I think this movie does that. It's one of the best examples of that. But before we get to that, uh, I know I said about cheesiness, and this is certainly a pretty cheesy sequence, but regardless, when he vaults over that the railing and starts running and the way the music hits from you know the gradual once those two i think trumpets i don't know music well at all um let's just say horns of sorts hit and it's like the that's not a very good representation but you know what i'm saying uh it hits so hard and the way 
I don't even know what it is. Like, I don't know if it's the actual mix of the movie or if it's just the way it's been built up that it just, like, got to me. But, I mean, that is so good. And it catapults the sequence. Like, just, it gives it this frenetic energy. And I love it once he breaks away from the crowd and he's, like, sprinting and he runs up the steps and he's jumping with everybody. It's so awesome and uplifting and it's so well built up like expertly by the rest of this movie it's fantastic i loved it so much it was the moment that i was waiting for in the first movie that i never really got this was that moment uh but it just happened to happen in the second movie uh and then yeah so the fight or they're doing a little bit of punch they're doing a little bit of block they're ducking they're pow pow whatever get up rock get out of the corner Woo, cheering. Okay, and then the the way this keeps cutting, the the way it's cutting around to all the different uh, parts of the fight, like the, the, the audience, and it keeps cutting between Rocky and Apollo, and, like, it lengthens the amount of time that there actually is, you know, for them to get up. And it's it's so good, just the way it's cut... And it's edited so well that it really expertly builds tension. And it's, like, really tense. And I'm like, I know he wins this movie, but, like, oh, my God, get up, get up, get up. And it's, I don't know, it's it's really well done. It's it's awesome. Uh, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't do what, I think this might have been, I think this is actually four where a very similar moment happens. They're not both on the ground, but, like, just the way it, the fight is edited, uh, it, act, it, like, does a lot in my opinion, to remind you of the stakes. I mean, we'll get to that movie, but um, but this movie doesn't necessarily do that. Uh, at least I didn't note it. I don't think it cuts back to Adrian until after Rocky wins. But uh, but yeah, the way this builds tension is it's so well done, uh, and the editing is commendable in this moment. All right, I've been banging on about this movie forever, uh, but I love it, man. If you have not seen this movie, and if you're like, oh, was the one Rocky movie I should watch, Definitely watch one, because it's a classic, and I think, regardless of whether or not you feel the same way I do about Rocky the Rapist, uh, it's still really well worth a watch. Um, it's a classic, but uh, but no, Rocky Two is so good, and you need to watch it. Um, okay, Rocky Three sucks. I did not like this movie, no, I definitely didn't hate it as much as I hated Five. Uh, but I just did not like it and have absolutely no desire to watch it again. It is, uh, it's very meandering. And I think one of the biggest things is it jumps the shark in a huge way. Uh, so it starts off, it starts off pretty similar to the other movies. Um, it's, you know, it, it does the, like the pan across with the title and then a little, uh, clip from the the fight at the end of the last movie, and oh, I forgot to mention this in Rocky too, but um, when he does the whole Yo Adrian thing and he's like I love you and all that stuff, it's it's so awesome and it's so inspiring. Anyway, back to Rocky three. Um, there's a really good visual. There's a lot of good visual storytelling. I know. Ah, oh, dang it! There's so much in Rocky two. It is so good. Just watch it. It's so good. But um. But no, there's also, I wanted to point out a great shot in this movie. So like I said, it's not very flashy. There's nothing really that spectacular about it. It's not showy. It doesn't call attention to itself. But there's a really great example of framing within the frame. When 
when Mick drops by and he's like, Yo, Rocky, I think you should take the fight. That is not Mick. I don't know who that guy was. But, um, but yeah, he's... And they they both agree that they sh- that he should take it and they're and they're ready. I love how the the way Adrian is framed on the staircase, the way the banister comes up and there's sort of like a lip, um, and it's like a there's like a like a one two step and there's a landing and then there's actually the steps that take you upstairs. The way that that actual architecture is used to frame her within the frame. If you're not familiar with the concept, it's. Uh, some sort of natural element of the scene that you're shooting that serves as an additional like box or rectangle um, inside you know the already box or rectangle of the screen of the frame so it's literally framing within the frame it's like if you were if you were shooting like a photograph that was framed or something so you have the frame of the film and then the frame of what of the actual photograph and you're using that frame to tell the story visually in some way uh it's not used super often uh especially not anymore but uh it's a very good like in terms of the language of film it's a very versatile uh it's a very versatile technique and it can be used really really well uh if done effectively and in this one shot, I love how well it conveys the isolation that she is feeling because she's the only one of the three who also feels like Rocky should not take the fight and is super concerned for his well-being. Like, he's the one at first who thinks he should take it, and then everyone else around him is kind of telling him no, and then now he and Mick are framed in a medium shot together they are both agreeing, they have the same opinion now, and I love how if this movie, one of the broader themes of it is family and, and like, family development kind of thing, and, like, a sort of togetherness, I love that this shows them together, because they have the same opinion, they agree, and then how he's isolating Adrian because of this decision, and how that frame, the way she is shot in it, it just, um, it conveys that, uh, additionally, just visually, uh, her isolation in terms of this decision. So, yeah, that's a really small moment, uh, and I should have talked about it in the second movie because, uh, you know, I'm supposed to be talking about the third movie now. That's what time codes say if you read the description, but uh, but assuming you don't, uh, now I'm actually going to talk about Rocky Three. Okay. Uh, Mr. T sucks. I, I mean, I don't know. He's just... I, Sorry, I keep getting sidetracked, but, um, so yeah, visual storytelling, the montage in the beginning, right after the clip of the last fight, you see Rocky, you know, quick flashes of Rocky beating a bunch of people, a bunch of ads, a bunch of sponsorship endorsements, all this stuff. It does a really good job without words of conveying Rocky's success and how he's grown and changed uh, as a performer and as a celebrity. I love all that. I think it's really good. The random cut to Mr. T was ridiculous, and I think that's about the the moment where the movie pretty much lost me. I think, if you ask me, he's the biggest problem with this movie. And it's not necessarily him specifically, but it's the ridiculousness that he brings with him. Now, this movie certainly isn't as crazy uh, or outlandish as Rocky IV, uh, and I guess it's certainly important to have that bridge, but the the way this movie tries to balance like a ridiculous attitude and like actually heartfelt moments is jarring and listen there's a lot of movies that have a very 
oddball tone but still manage to land emotional beats very well. I'm not saying it can't be done, but it needs to be done well, and it needs to be written and shot, performed, everything. You know, everything has to come together and coalesce in a way that makes those those moments hit hit well. And a lot of times, comedic moments and, and just kind of like a weird general tone can uh, offset dramatic beats in a good way. They can serve to highlight the difference between those two things. And so you laugh a lot with the characters and with the movie and then that makes you feel worse once it actually gets sad but in this movie it just sort of hits the brakes on the grounded and like down-to-earth tone of the first two movies and veers right off into like craziness so Mr. Chi is just you know he's yelling everything that he says and he's like oh we're rocking the ring I'm better than Rocky I'm better than and he's just going crazy he's yelling everything i mean he fights hawk hogan in this movie like all of it it's just ridiculous and it's so it's so far beyond um the rocky films that preceded it uh paulie also continues to be the worst character ever uh by shamelessly asking for a handout because he feels like oh, i've been your best friend rock and you ain't giving me nothing yeah there's a reason because you suck uh and and yeah, it's just weird that it it becomes so heightened so quickly without really any like it sort of serves as a bridge between something like Rocky Two and Rocky Four, but at the same time it's not done well enough to really like it's not a bridge I want to cross. It's like no 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 I like that. Like it's just weird. It's like if maybe you said like oh this hamburger has too much ketchup or something. Like, maybe that's that's too depressing, and if they want to keep it fresh, they want to take it in a new direction, a more triumphant, a more uh, sanitized, I don't know, um, like, just a, just a different direction. That makes sense, but then it's like somebody hands you back, like, I don't know, an apple, and you're like, no, I just want a burger with less ketchup. I don't know, it's just kind of weird. Uh, I don't know if that analogy totally made sense, but, but yeah, that's that's kind of how I feel about it. Um, so yeah, and then I think the other problem with this movie is that it lacks the nuance and the the time, like like spending the, the time to, to really develop the ideas it's trying to run with. So I think, yeah, I think that's part of the problem too, is that when it does try to be something more than a ridiculous 80s movie, it just sort of comes across as insincere and just kind of out of nowhere because it doesn't seem like the movie has been doing the legwork to to get you there uh in a way that the other two movies expertly avoid you know everything in those movies it serves the themes that it's trying to develop for the most part i know i said a couple things about rocky one kind of falling short of the markets trying to hit but it's still better than than this um uh, I do, I do like a few things about this movie, and, and like I said, I don't he- totally hate it, it's just, it's not something that I have much of a desire to watch again, but it's certainly, it's certainly not Rocky Five. Oh boy, Rocky Five is, oh, it's real bad, it's real bad, but we'll get to that next episode. Um, I do like Apollo and Rocky becoming friends, that's a really fun dynamic, and their training scenes together are 
are really cool, and the shift in location, while it doesn't really affect the movie, it just gives a, you know, a new look. Uh, the grunge of the gym is really cool and palpable. You can almost feel, you know, the the rundown, like, quality of that gym. Uh, and then just, like, shots on the beach and stuff. That's nice. It provides a change of scenery that, while not drastic, is is still cool and refreshing. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm really qualified to talk about this, but um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the term, I'm assuming you haven't, but uh, Magical Negro, a Magical Negro movie. Now, on surface, that sounds very racist, but hold on, hear me out. It's a term that um, that Spike Lee, so Malcolm X, Do the Right Thing, Black Klansman, all that stuff, a uh, very prolific African-American filmmaker who's made a lot of really, really great movies, um, he picked up on this trend in in Hollywood um, that he dubbed the, the Black Negro trope, where, or, sorry, not Black, my bad, Magical Negro trope, and um, he coined that term, I want to say, like, late 80s, maybe early 90s, and once you know what it is, it's kind of hard to, uh, to unsee it in a lot of movies, uh, so it's where a troubled white protagonist, like, has some sort of African-American friend who kind of teaches them, like, the black way or, like, the hood way to win or something or to, to, to do what they're trying to do, and it's weird, uh, I'm trying to think of a specific example, I can think of, um, uh, another sports movie, uh, from a pretty similar time, uh, for example, Mighty Ducks 2, they, like, meet that kind of urban group of, like, quote-unquote urban group of, uh, of players who, like, teach them the new way of fighting, and it's, or not fighting, sorry, hockey playing, uh, and then they, they, like, have all the skills that they need to win, but it's, like, you know, a, like, a quote-unquote hood, or, like, city people, and it's, like, you know, it's black kids, uh, so I don't know if I'm totally qualified to talk about this, but it did very much seem like that's kind of a trope that this movie is guilty of succumbing to, because it's like, oh, you need to go with Apollo and go to the black gym and learn all these new ways of fighting that you haven't considered over there at, uh, Mayonnaise Avenue or wherever that thing is in Philly. I'm sorry, I'm just trying to think of a white thing, but, uh, but yeah, if you don't totally understand what I'm saying, or if I haven't explained it enough because I'm trying to sidestep being horribly, uh, on PC, uh, look it up, do some research, or, uh, check out a Key and Peele sketch on it, I think it's really funny, and, uh, you'll like it, uh, you can, you can find it pretty easy, it's, um, it's like a wizard duel or something, I don't know, anyway, uh, oh, also Mick dies, and, uh, that, that is pretty heartbreaking, but, um, but again, it's definitely overshadowed by, by a lot of the other moments in this movie. It's very strange. I'm not totally sure what's going on with this movie. Uh, sorry if that kind of seemed a little rushed. I just, I don't know, I didn't have much to talk about except kind of the, the weird shift in tone and uh, Mr. T being really weird and, and just over-stylized. Um, and yeah, just, you, you get it. Presumably you were listening to what I was just talking about. All right, uh, oh, and overall the score for all these movies is really good, which I need to say before I transition into my next uh, little quick topic. If you like underdog tales with great music, 
specifically Travis Scott music and movies about Travis Scott, you should probably check out the Look Mom, I Can Fly documentary on Netflix. My, some pretty quick thoughts about it. I think it's really cool. Whatever the mix of this uh, documentary is, the way that they incorporate his music into into the the movie is it's really really good and it just it just sounds great and it does a really good job of portraying like how the best concerts that he performs uh are like really hype like it's crazy so so yeah this it did feel particularly aimless to me like i didn't totally understand because of the non-linear narrative and they keep jumping between different times and, like, kind of filling you in in the story as they, they go through different eras and, like, parts of, of Travis's life, like him as a kid. And, like, like him, he goes to, uh, like, all these places around the U.S. and then, like, other countries and stuff. And, then like, you get news reports talking about him and footage from uh, from performances and stuff. And I don't know. I didn't totally understand that it was, like, chronicling the events leading up to Astroworld. And then kind of like the aftermath and stuff. I didn't really realize that. I guess I would have thought if you were going to make a documentary about Astroworld, you were released it like a year ago. Uh, it's kind of, it's a little late now. But um, but yeah, I did like it though. I It's it's pretty hype and it's it's really fun uh, just to watch and see like the cultural impact of a lot of the stuff that he does. And also, uh, there's a lot of great music. Like, holy crap. And I want those Jordan ones. Um, so I was gonna talk about, uh, I was gonna talk about going to the Italian festival in, uh, in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Um, just because, you know, Italian stallion, Italian festival, you know, it kind of ties in. But I think I might try to save that for the next episode, just because this one's running a little long, and uh, I don't wanna gonna bog it down too much try to keep it pretty rocky centric um so yeah maybe we'll we'll touch on that in the next episode i predict i'll have a lot less to say except for like this sucks no i'm just kidding rocky 4 is pretty great um so yeah in case you're wondering about the this kind of quote-unquote schedule for the next couple episodes uh i do want to fill you in on that before i go the next episode will be episode 13 and it will be I think it's I think it's thirteen, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it's thirteen. Uh, but yeah, let's just say it's thirteen, and uh, it'll be the second half of the Rocky Saga. So it'll be four, five, and Balboa, and then I just gonna do a separate episode about the the two Creed movies. Um. So yeah, that'll be through to fourteen, and then somewhere in there, I'm gonna release a bonus episode probably 15 to 20 minutes, uh, about the horror movie Candyman, so if you have not seen that, I would highly recommend it, it is so freaking good, I love it, uh, and so it's just, it's gonna cover that movie, uh, some similarities and differences between it and the short story it was based on, uh, The Forbidden by Clive Barker, if you wanted to read that too, uh, you don't have to, certainly, it's not gonna be a huge focus, uh, but I will touch on that, and then, uh, just the the impact of this movie and a lot of the real world stories it was based on because I think that the the movie itself and the mythos around it is 
fascinating, and I would love to talk about it, throw in my two cents. So if all that sounds interesting to you, uh, definitely look forward to a bonus episode about Candyman coming sometime soon in the future. Uh, so yeah, that's about it for me for this episode. Uh, I hope you enjoyed, and I want to thank you as always for listening. If you would like to contact me or the show itself, I guess, which is also just me, I don't really know why I separated that, but, uh, there's a bunch of ways you can do it. I know you probably won't, but I'm going to remind you anyway. Um, you can hit me up at GiovanniIndrioli21 on Instagram, uh, where I just post general stuff, and you can totally slide to my DMs, I'll be happy to talk to you. Um, or you can follow Movies and More Pod on Instagram for updates about the show, um, when new episodes are up, teasers for the upcoming episodes, all kinds of stuff like that, just to keep you in the loop in terms of what I'm releasing. And then if you have, like, a longer question or comment, you can send it in at moviesandmorepod at gmail.com. Uh, also, if you love the show and you want to support it uh, in a pretty quick, easy way, you can leave a review, preferably five stars, uh, on iTunes or Spotify or somewhere, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, You can do it in-app, it's pretty easy, and it really helps the show a lot uh, with getting found and everything. So yeah, uh, don't feel obligated to do any of that, but in case you want to, that's how you do it. Besides that, that's pretty much everything for me. I know I already thanked you for listening, but I want to thank you again because it really means a lot to me. And it's great to have uh, listeners of this show every week. So thank you for that. Uh, Otherwise, yo, Adrian, I finished a podcast. See you next time, everybody.